This morning we are discussing the second verse of the Lord's Prayer. And let me just say, he should read like an audio Bible. I mean, that is the best reading we've ever had. (laughs) We really could go home if y'all want to. Let's recap really quickly where we've been. Uh, If you'll remember, we actually started this before the Lord's Prayer itself, looking at the whole context. And in that first week, we contrasted the prayers of the righteous with the prayers of the hypocrites. And we said the prayers of the righteous are focused on intimacy with the Father, whereas the prayers of the hypocrites are most concerned with the praise of man. And then we learned in week two that God is more concerned about our hearts as we approach Him in prayer than He is with the words that we say. And He's also more concerned, or He also knows everything that we're going to pray to Him even before we ask it. And then last week we discussed in that first verse, verse 9, that God is our Father who is in heaven and that He is holy in His nature. Today, we focus specifically on verse 10, which says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there are two primary emphases in this verse that we're going to focus on. Number one, God is king. And number two, His will is perfect. God is king and His will is perfect. Number one, God is king. This idea of the kingdom of God throughout the scriptures is a very important topic. But it is more important to Jesus than any other concept. How do I know this? Well, let me read all of the passages where Jesus discusses this. Matthew 4.17 From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Mark 1.15 Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Luke 4.43 But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. John 3.5 Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water... And the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God matters because Jesus talks about this in very tangible and specific ways in all four of the Gospels. What do we mean when we say that God is king? In the ESV translation, which we read from and from which I preach, you find in the Gospels, 126 occurrences of kingdom. But in the rest of the New Testament, you only find it 34 times. Now, that's not that Peter and James and the others are not concerned about the kingdom, but Jesus, it is a primary emphasis of his teaching throughout the Gospels. Psalm 103, 19 sums it up well. It says, The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Some of the attributes of God that would reflect His reign as king would be His omnipotence and His sovereignty. 
Think about it for a moment. His omnipotence. That is the idea that God is able to do all that he wants to do because he's all-powerful. And his sovereignty is God's exercise of rule over all of his creation. Now, an earthly king might have sovereign rule over a territory or a nation, but an earthly king does not have sovereign rule over all of creation. An earthly king might appear to have unlimited power over a group of people, but in reality, that power will come to an end upon the death of that king or that ruler. Nebuchadnezzar died. Alexander the Great died. Julius Caesar died. Napoleon died. George Washington died. Mussolini, Stalin, Hitler, they all died. Putin will die. No one has unlimited power except for God. Earthly reigns come and they go, but the Lord's reign, brothers and sisters, is eternal. So the omnipotence of God and the sovereignty of God ensures that the reign of God will never end because He never ends. And there is no one more powerful than He is, so no one can usurp Him from His throne. Never forget who is in charge of this world. When you turn off the nightly news every night, if you watch it, and you're scared for your life because of all the evil in the world, you need to remind yourself of the sovereignty of God and the omnipotency of God. When your children come home from school and tell you about the active shooter drill that they have to have, remind yourself of the sovereignty of God and the omnipotency of God. When the doctor tells you that the test results came back positive, remind yourself of the sovereignty of God and the omnipotency of God. He is king over all of his creation. Now, even though when we think of this biblical concept of kingdom, our minds often go to 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, where we hear about all of the earthly kings in Israel, David and Solomon and others. But the entire Bible is actually concerned with this idea of the kingdom of God. Graham Goldsworthy wrote this excellent book called Gospel and Kingdom. And he defines the kingdom of God as this. God's people in God's place under God's rule. There's another book. Tracing the Storyline of Scripture, God's Big Picture, written by Von Roberts. And in his book, he actually traces how Genesis to Revelation is all about this theological understanding of the kingdom of God. He talks about the pattern of the kingdom in Genesis 1 and 2. When Adam and Eve are in the Garden of Eden, they are walking in perfect fellowship with God. That is the pattern of the kingdom, the way God always wanted it to be. But then, in Genesis 3, we learn of the perished kingdom. When Adam and Eve eat of the fruit that God told them not to. And that kingdom is now spoiled. It is perished. But then you have this promised kingdom. That begins in Genesis 12 when God calls Abram out from Ur of the Chaldeans. And he says, Abram, who later becomes Abraham, through you and your descendants, 
all of the peoples of the world will be blessed. So you have that leading all the way in to the prophets, which we call the prophesied kingdom. When the prophets come to Israel and then later Judah and say, none of these kings that you have been looking to can fulfill all of God's promises perfectly. But there is another king who is coming. And then we have the present kingdom. When Jesus comes on earth as the Messiah and he fulfills all of the laws and the commandments of God perfectly when he is here in the flesh. Then he ascends to heaven and you now have the proclaimed kingdom where the apostles are proclaiming the good news of the gospel. The church is started. We live in the proclaimed kingdom when we are urging people to turn from sin and self and believe in Christ alone. But one day, brothers and sisters, we will have a perfected kingdom. When Jesus returns to collect his bride, the church, it will be like a new garden of Eden. Once again, all followers of Jesus will walk in perfect fellowship with God in the same way that Adam and Eve did in Genesis 1 and 2 prior to the entrance of sin into the world. So the kingdom of God was ushered in through the life and the ministry of Jesus. And we live on the other side of that death and resurrection of Christ. We proclaim that while the kingdom of God has started, it has not reached its conclusion. The delay of the return of Christ is so that more and more people can hear the good news of the kingdom of God. So this idea, this phrase that Jesus prays here, your kingdom come, it is a prayer for the salvation of more people. Simply put, we should be praying for God to uh, awaken hearts and draw people to himself so that they can enter into a relationship with Christ under the lordship of Christ. So we're not praying for people to be more impressed with Jesus. We're not praying for people to respect Jesus. This prayer, your kingdom come, is a prayer for people to submit to Jesus as Lord and King of their lives. Think of the ramifications for this as we go about our daily lives. We're playing a long-term game here. We're not just calling for express converts. Let's just get them to say the prayer and we're good to go. Jesus is far more concerned about a life fully devoted to Him. Coming under the Lordship of His rule and His reign. How many of you, do not raise your hand, know people who at one time professed faith in Christ, said they were a Christian, and now they want nothing to do with Jesus or His church? What do we make of those types of people? I have one thought on this, one of many. Our commitment to new converts, new brothers and sisters in Christ, is just beginning when they are converted to faith in Christ. Many times we have viewed salvation as the ending point of a person's life. It's as if once they're saved, 
we're good and let's move on to the next folks. No. God calls us to come alongside new brothers and sisters in Christ. Walk that journey of faith with them. As we pray for the conversion of friends and family members and neighbors and co-workers that we know, we should not only be praying for their salvation, but we should be praying that someone would come alongside of them and help them to understand this decision to follow Jesus that they had just made. Better yet, we should probably be praying that we would be the one who would come alongside of them. Show them what it means to follow Jesus day in and day out. We often hear in the New Testament especially about the offices of Christ. That He has a prophet office, a priestly office, and then a kingly office. When we say that Christ is king, we understand that all of those who are in Christ have submitted to Him as Lord of their life. Meaning, you give up the right to be in control of your life when you profess faith in Christ. You are no longer in the driver's seat. Christ is in charge of your life. All of those that have repented of their sin and professed faith in Christ must submit to the Lordship of Jesus. When we call Christ King, we are saying that we are going to die to self, pick up our cross, and follow after Him. No matter what that might mean for us. But your kingdom come in this passage is also a prayer for Jesus to return. How many are ready for Jesus to return in this room today? How many of you think about the fact that Jesus will return? Is it on your mind at all? Do you pray for the return of Christ? Do you anticipate the return of Christ? Do you regularly Meditate on the fact that Jesus is returning to collect His bride. So as we pray for your kingdom come, meaning for more people to come to faith in Christ, more people to turn from sin and profess faith in Christ, we should also be praying for Christ to return, to gather His bride, so that we can be in the presence of God fully forever, free from the presence of sin altogether. Revelation 21, 2 to 4, illustrates this beautifully. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When we pray, your kingdom come, this is what we look forward to. This is what we anticipate. When we were all in mourning yesterday over various events, we can look forward to Christ's return. Obviously, I'm joking. There's far more important things. But this passage keeps us hopeful 
in anticipating that day when we will no longer have to deal with the aches and pains that these bodies give us. The flawed nature of these bodies that we have. There will be no more crying, no more pain, no more heartache. We will be in the full presence of God. So we can pray this morning, God, your kingdom come. Number two, we also need to leave here today understanding God's will is perfect. When Jesus models for us in this prayer, your will be done, what does he mean? Well, first, let's define God's will. The attribute of God whereby he approves and determines to bring about every action necessary for the existence and activity of himself and all creation. But of course, as you read through Scripture, you realize that God's will is talked about in different ways. We have God's general will, which is in Ephesians 1, 11, when he says, "...who accomplishes all things according to the counsel of his will." We have God's necessary will and His free will. What is His necessary will? It includes everything that He must will according to His nature. What is His free will? Well, His free will is all things that God decided to do to will, but had no necessity to will according to His nature. What would be some of those things? He didn't have to create the universe. Did you know that? He was in perfect fellowship. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in perfect fellowship. He created this universe out of His free will. Did you know that He redeemed humanity out of His free will? These were choices that He made on His part. We also learn in Scripture of His secret will and His revealed will. His secret will is those hidden degrees, decrees by which he governs the universe and determines everything that will happen. And guess what we know about God's secret will? You will never know what it is. So just don't worry about it. God's secret will is exactly that. You will never understand it. But then there is also, thank goodness, God's revealed will. And that is what we should do or what he commands us to do according to his word. So when Jesus says in this passage, your will be done, what will is he talking about? His necessary will, his free will, his secret will, his general will, or his revealed will? Thankfully, we have theologians that help us come up with answers to questions like this. Here's what Wayne Grudem says. In the Lord's Prayer, the petition... Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is a prayer that people would obey God's revealed will. His commands on earth just as they do in heaven. And if the phrase is understood in this way, it provides a pattern for us to pray on the basis of God's commands in Scripture. In this sense, Jesus provides us with a guide for an exceedingly broad range of prayer requests. So when we pray, Father, your will be done, we can look to the scriptures to see what God reveals about his will. So here are some things that we can pray. 
We can pray that God would redeem lost people to himself through relationship with Christ. That aligns with God's revealed will in Scripture. We can pray that Christians would daily repent of sin and pursue holiness as they walk with Christ. Why can we pray that? Because it has been revealed in His Word. We can pray that God would raise up missionaries, even from within our congregation, who feel called to leave all that they have ever known and go overseas and proclaim the gospel to unreached people groups. We can pray this because God reveals this in His Word. We can pray for our church as a whole, that we would grow in holiness, that we would pursue holiness and grow in our knowledge of the Scriptures. Why can we pray that? Because God has revealed that to us in His Word. We can pray that our church would have a zeal for evangelism, that we would go out from this place and proclaim the gospel to people that don't know who Jesus is. Why can we pray that? Because God reveals it to us in His will. We can pray for a culture of discipleship to break out amongst us so that when one sees a new convert or a baby Christian among us, the response is not, go to the pastor even though sometimes that might be good, the response is no. God has called me to come alongside that brother or sister and train them up in the faith and help them to grow in their walk with Christ. We can pray all of these things and more because God has revealed His will to us through this book. The question that we often ask ourselves, what is God's will for my life. Now, I can remember being in high school many years ago and wrestling with this very question. What is it that God wants me to do with my life? Maybe we have some students in this room right now, maybe even adults in this room right now who are wondering what it is that God wants me to do in my life. So when I graduated high school, I went off to college and I enrolled as a telecommunication and film major. I was going to be the next Reese Davis on ESPN's College Game Day, who, by the way, is a graduate of Alabama. But as I was sitting in that class, fall of 2004, my freshman year in college, and some lady came in to tell us about this career, there was this moment where God made it abundantly clear to me, this is not what you're going to do with your life. I'm calling you to serve me full-time, vocationally, as a pastor. Now, the problem with this is that sometimes when we begin discussing the will of God, we sometimes think that if we're not doing something like being a pastor, then our lives are really just a waste. Brothers and sisters, that could not be any more untrue. How do I know that? Because God has made His will clear to every Christian who is sitting in here today. He has already revealed it to you. If you want to know what God's will is, listen very closely. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe 
all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let me answer the question. What is God's will for your life? That is God's will for your life. And the reality is, you do not have to be a preacher or a pastor to accomplish that will. So what do we do? Well, you use common sense. How has God blessed you? What gifts has He, has he given you? And use those gifts and steward those gifts to flesh out exactly what Matthew 28 is telling us in this passage. So students, maybe even adults, my advice would be see what gifts it is that God has given you. See what you are passionate about and go do it. Keeping this job description in mind as you go about doing it. You can do this as an accountant. You can do this as a teacher, as a coach, as a lawyer, as an insurance salesman, as a banker. And I know there's many more professions, but I'm going to stop there. You can fulfill God's will to go and make disciples wherever it is that you work. Let me ask you a question. Do you have people that you work with that are not saved? The answer is yes. Therefore, you have a job to do. That is, invest in your coworkers. Get to know your coworkers. Maybe you could have a Bible study one day a week at lunch and just invite anybody that wants to come. Teach through the Scriptures. Pray together. That's just one idea. There's any number of ways that you could pour into people in your workplace. Do you live in a neighborhood? Is everyone in your neighborhood, as you pull out on Sunday morning, are all of the dry waves empty? Or are they all full of cars? Perhaps you have lost people that live right next to you. Make disciples among them. How could your faith in Christ speak to whatever profession it is that you do? So when you pray, God, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven... We are asking God, pleading with God, that the majesty and the beauty and the glory and splendor of God would be revealed through us who have been created in His image to make His name known. Your will, or I should say God's will for you, is to make disciples wherever it is that He has you. So Christians in the room this morning, let me challenge you. Think of one person that you know does not know Jesus and simply begin praying for that person. One person. And that God would give you an opportunity to share the gospel with them. But let me also challenge you to pray, God, would you help me to identify one person who is either a new Christian or a baby Christian or one who is hungry to grow? And would you lay that person on my heart so that I can come alongside that brother or sister and train them up in the faith? Show them how to day in and day out live the Christian life? We should desire to have the type of culture 
within our body where we are regularly proclaiming the gospel, where we live, work, and play, and where brothers and sisters in the room are regularly gathering around younger Christians and pouring into them, discipling them, helping them understand what it means to follow Jesus. And if you don't know of anybody who needs that, come ask me. Come ask Reed. Come ask Nick, Trey, Bob, Cindy. We can give you plenty of names of people that are hungry to grow in their faith, that want to learn more. And we can help you come alongside of them and disciple them. Because when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are praying that God would redeem a lost people to himself and that his followers would grow in holiness. So that's the challenge to Christians. Now the challenge to unchristians in the room. Submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Let Him have control of your life. Repent of your sin. Put your faith in Christ. God's judgment for unrepentant sinners is a reality. A future apart from God forever in hell is straight out of God's word. But the good news of the gospel is that for all who repent of their sin and believe in faith, the wrath of God, which will be poured out on unrepentant sinners, was instead poured out on Christ for all of those who will repent and believe in faith. And instead of spending an eternity apart from Christ in hell, The reward for faith in Christ is being in the presence of God forever. Let's pray. God, would you challenge us through your Holy Spirit to make praying for lost people a priority and discipling those that are new Christians a priority. Right now, God, lay on our hearts the names of those that we can begin consistently praying for if we're not already doing so. Give us opportunities to proclaim the gospel and to pour into other people because that is the job description. That is your will for every Christian's life. And if there are any here today who do not know you, who have never turned from their sin and professed faith in Christ, Draw them to yourself. Give them the boldness after our service today to come and share that with me or someone else that they know in this congregation so that we can share with them the good news of the gospel and that they can come to faith in Christ. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen.